I don't I don't play music. I don't preach. Um, so that, that can be hard. What instrument would you play? I'd like to play the piano. I've got lots of years left in my life to learn that, so that's a goal of mine. See, I didn't, I didn't, you don't strike me as a piano man. I was thinking more like didgeridoo. I don't even know what that is. It's like the but, big, long horn. Okay, well, that's just insulting. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for checking out week three of our Sermon Follow-Up podcast, where we've been journeying through the book of Ephesians together. This is the third installment of our series, Four by Grace. Sheila brought our word this morning. And so we did our podcast a little bit differently. Todd and I got to reflect on the things from her sermon that we found life-giving and that brought forth thoughts in our mind, as well as the rest of chapter four from Ephesians. I hope you enjoy it. If you have any questions, please continue sending them our way. We'd love to talk about them either on the podcast or just let them be thoughts for us to consider. Also, I want to remind you that beginning August 1st, we're going to be doing a new season of prayer together. And we're not going to be praying necessarily for anything specifically. We don't have one day or one agenda. It's just that we invite people to consider beginning a new season of praying. And so we're going to do so with a book about centering prayer, which is a way for us to open up our mind to the possibilities of God and to just be present and commune with the Lord. And so a link to the book is um, going to be in the bottom of the description for this podcast. And so if you just click on details, you can find a link to the book. And it's called um, 40 Days to a Closer Walk with God. And so we're going to be getting that on August 1st. And I invite you to join us in that. And I hope that you will consider doing so. Anyway, hope you love this podcast. If you have anything you'd like to share, please shoot it our way. What's up, fam? Hello. Hope all are doing well. Thank you for joining us again. Um, we're excited this week to talk about the word that Sheila brought for us this morning. We're recording this on Sunday night, the earliest we've gotten to record this. The sermon is fresh on our minds, and um, we are so grateful for the word that Sheila brought. Um, we're going to do things a little bit different with this recording because I didn't preach it. Todd is not just going to be asking me questions about my sermon. We're just going to talk about the things um, from Sheila's sermon that um, kind of jumped out to us, the things that we found inspiring, the things that we found thought-provoking, things we want to talk more about. And so we're going to do that for the first half. And on the second half, we're going to talk more about Ephesians chapter 4 as a whole and just kind of ask some questions about the text and ask some questions about some thoughts maybe that were spurred from the sermon. You know, I I found a number of things um, that Sheila said inspiring. You know, we talk about the difference in scriptures being devotional and critical. And I think for me as a preacher, sermons are the same thing, right? There are times in which they are very inspiring. Things are just, you know, just moving. The Holy Spirit is working in through the preacher. And there's other times where I can't turn my preacher brain off, where I'm like, huh, that's an interesting movement, or or that, I would have thought of that, or, you know, communication skills even. And um, I was thankful that uh, knowing that we were going to be having this conversation, I tried to do none of that. I tried my best to turn off my preacher brain and just really let the word, you know, kind of wash over me. And, um, and I'm... You know, I found a lot of things that the Lord is speaking in and through Sheila that were were moving, you know. So I hope that you did too. Absolutely. No, she you said she brought us the word. She she brought it. <laughs> um she also said that we talk about her and we are, but I'm just pretending that she's here listening to us. Um and if she doesn't listen, then I'll have to get on to her about that. Yeah. But she it was it was amazing. Uh we've already talked about three or four things we're gonna we're gonna speak to about that we really liked and wanted to discuss more on her sermon. And if I don't cover them in those three topics, I've got four quotes when I just re-listened to the sermon. Uh, you just posted it on like one and a half speed. I wrote down four sentences that Sheila said that I'll give her full credit for those sentences, but they were just awesome. Uh, so very happy that she was able to 
preach for us today. Yeah, yeah. So the biggest thing that she kept coming back to that was kind of the theme of the whole sermon that I think, you know, um, was present in each part of her sermon was the theme of unity, inclusion, and diversity, which is obviously, I mean, if you look at most titles of um, of this chapter in most translations, it has some sort of unity and maturity in the body of Christ. Unity in the body of Christ, you know, unity is kind of the overarching theme. And I love how she pulled that out and she let that be the, the lens through which we experience the whole sermon, this idea that... Um, that we are part of this unified body in Christ. It's kind of like in the first chapter, we talked a lot about this Christ is bringing us together or Christ is, you know, bringing the two um, people groups together and they're all united in Christ. And in this sermon and in this chapter, we're getting the practical implications of these theological realities in Christ. We are united and this is what it looks like. Right. And, and I love that. That's how, you know, she kind of set up the whole sermon. I like the, the theme of unity and I didn't think about this when we talked earlier, but the first verse, it, it's powerful, and most everyone has heard it. It says, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. And you could just listen to that verse as Sheila read it for us at the beginning of the sermon and think, okay, we're going to talk about what do I need to be doing in life in terms of my employment, vocation, all that. And I think that's somewhere you can go. But the message, this whole passage, verse 1 through 13, that we focused on this morning is more more generic, but still specific. It's how do you live? It's not necessarily just about that. Um, it's how do we all live together? And so I, that was just a pleasant surprise for me about just going back and rereading verses 1 through 13. Something else we wanted to talk about while I mentioned it is just chapter 4 is so good. And reading it, all right now, verses 1 through 32 would probably not be helpful. Um, <laughs> but I would just encourage everybody listening to just uh, grab their Bible sometime this week after they listen to the sermon, either today on Sunday or uh, sometime during the week. Chapter 4 is just so powerful. It is. It is. And, you know, it's funny you said anything about calling. Often when I preach about calling or I think about calling, it is individual. It's about myself, my personal calling, vocational, whatever it might be. Um, I also think we're called to things beyond our vocations. You know, your job doesn't have to be your calling, you know, all that, those things. Yet what she did with the sermon and what this text brings us to is this idea of that we are all called to be unified. We're all called to be part of this body. And so it's more this calling of being as far as um, as members of the body of Christ. And so there's a universal nature to this calling. There's it's in the way it's moving, removing the self, removing the individual from this idea of, you know, me, my, what I need to do, these, you know, things about myself and more like us as a church, us as members of the body into this universal calling into this, into this role as a community. That's what, as we, as you said that, that's what kind of yeah. it, it reminded me of and brought me to. Another thing that um, I really liked that, you know, having read it in the NIV, you know, as I'm preparing for the whole series and then hearing it preached from and read in the NRSV, um, there will tell us in a second, but there's a little bit of difference. But when she said this line, I just loved it. She said, living into our calling is about self leading into our calling is about others. And she has said this idea of like, you know, that, that Paul is calling us to, to lead a life worthy of our calling. And this 
Now, I thought it was so beautiful that oftentimes when we think about, if we're living to our calling, we're you know thinking about ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. But this idea of leading into our calling is on behalf of others, and it's about how do we do things that are going to benefit people beyond ourselves. And the reason why I say, you know, it's a little bit different is because as I was reading the NIV, it actually just says um, that you should live a life worthy of your calling. And in RSV, it says that you should lead a life worthy of your calling. And what, what translation? My, my ESV says, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Yeah. So although it wasn't, you know, the crux on which her sermon hung, mm-hmm. if she had been using the NIV to, you know, prepare for a sermon, she might not have been able to make that interpretive point, which I found so inspiring. Like I, We might not have gotten that if we had to use a different translation. And and that doesn't say that you should only use one translation or others. You know, as yeah. preachers, we actually try to look at different translations mm-hmm. to see these type of things. And, um, and I wonder if she even made the interpretive decision, like, you know, when I hear this inspiring word from the idea of leading, you know, I've got to make sure that I put that in there, get that in there. And I'm really glad she did because that just, you know, kind of spoke to me, spoke to my, my way of thinking about Ephesians and my way of thinking about, you know, our Christian duty. It's not so much about, it's not only about our relationship with Jesus, it's about our relationship with Jesus and with others. And so to, in what, in her words, what she said, to lead a life worthy of the calling means that we're going to be leading and on behalf of others. Yeah. If we're just living a life worthy of our calling, is that too introspective? Is it too you're focusing too much on you're paying too much attention to how you are acting or your moral decisions? Uh, yeah, I think in the other translations, you you're going to garner the same message from the whole passage. But it was just really cool that she was able to highlight that as mm-hmm. you know to highlight for the first verse uh, the way the NRSV reads. Perfect place for my quote number three that I love from Sheila is talking about leading your life for others somewhere in there in that, in that topic. I think she was talking about BBS at the time. She said, the gifts we are given are not for ourselves. They're for others. And that is just powerful and dangerous all at the same time. (laughs) Um, If you just let that sink in and think about that, um, whatever your gifts are in life, um, how do you use them for others? And I can think of so many examples of, of what you call our family uh, leading off in our church of people that do that every day. And it's just really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was, you know, spot on. I thought it was so good. Another thing she did, you know, we're kind of hitting these same things again, like unity, inclusion, others, not self. Um, but she said uh, unity and oneness is not something we accept or reject. Rather, it's something we do. And I thought that was so powerful because we live in a world that is quick to affirm what we think is right. You know, we're quick to say, yeah, I agree with that or that is true, or let that be so, amen, whatever it might be. And I mean, you see it on social media and you see it in reality, right? We'll, we'll affirm the things we like to believe in that we think sound nice. Yet the idea of unity and oneness is not really natural to us. Um, if we're out typically living for ourselves, if we're li- living a life for ourselves, then unity and oneness is not really possible because it depends on doing things for others. And so when she said, it's not something... Um, it's, it's not something we accept or reject. It's something we do. It, it kind of brings us into this action round. You know, in the first week, we talk about faith as a verb, like mm-hmm. that faith requires activity and requires action. And I think when you think about if we're going to bring about diversity into our community, it's not just going to happen on its own. If we're going to be tolerant of people in our society and in our communities and in our groups that we're not familiar with, it's going to take effort. It's going to take work. And that's hard work. But it's good work. It's necessary work. Yeah. And sometimes messy work, messy work. Yeah. And it'll bring about tension. It can bring about 
dynamic changes in relationships. You can bring about all sorts. I mean, there are implications to these realities, yet they are intrinsically necessary if we're going to bring about unity. If we're going to bring about oneness, you've got to do the hard work. And so the idea, like, you can talk all day long and say, yeah, we need unity. We need oneness. But if you're not really willing to do anything about it, do you really believe that we need it? You know, that's kind of the challenge I felt from her in saying that. Absolutely. She didn't. I don't think she was purposefully throwing out the gauntlet to the congregation, but that message, absolutely. It's, it's not just stopping it. You know, I do agree with diversity. We need more of that. It's, <laughs> it's okay. Well, how are you going to do it? Um, and you spoke to some of another quote that I really liked about doing things that I think you said this, we may not see the fruits of that labor or they may not agree with us right then and there. We may not, I don't know, get to see how amazing whatever it is we're going to stand for is in that topic, she talked about that type of work being a spiritual investment that we may never see mature. And that, oh man, that was so powerful. Um, both in terms of, I think of it in terms of actions. So uh, is acting in a way where you are doing unity and inclusion uh, in whatever that looks like in your life, in your community. And your actions that day aren't necessarily going to just change someone on a dime. They might, they're not going to change you on a dime. Um, And so you may not see them, but if you're living in truth, as uh, the author writes to us in chapter four, it, you you just know it's the right thing to do. And you just have to walk away and say, God, just use, you know, that seed that was hopefully planted. Uh, Just such a powerful quote, the investment piece. I've read a a book called God and money. I read recently that, that shaped my current philosophy on, I don't know, stewardship with the resources God had given us is it talks about that a lot. Um, for any finance gurus out there, we like to see our investments grow and return. We like a return on investment or ROI. And so then we like to know what it is. I guess yeah, we like to know what it's doing. Um, we like to see how great of an idea it was or not great of an idea it was. Uh, and the author of this book that I read, I'll stop this tangent shortly, but he talks about kingdom ROI. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times it, we can say, well, you know, I'll, I'll just have a little more money to give later. But like, you don't know, you just have to trust and know that whether it's actions or dollars, that God's going to use that in amazing ways, um, whether it has to do with VBS or anything else. Uh, and that's, and Sheila spoke so well on that about VBS today. Uh, it's her specific example, but such a great quote about spiritual investments that we may never see mature. I didn't hear that at first until you brought it up and as reflecting about her, I was like, man, she that that is such a great not only thing to say, but reality to try to help us all remember and to identify. Because kingdom work is not always immediately recognizable, right? The investment, the return. There's a great poem and I read it in a sermon a couple weeks ago, probably a couple months ago. I said the other day, and then Brown is like, use the other day like three years ago. <laughs> so the other day the other day I was preaching. And, um, and I, I, that idea from about kingdom investment came to me originally from a poem by Wendell Berry called Mad Farmers Liberation Front. And then it, he says, um, I just pulled it up right here. So friends, every day do something that won't compute. Love the Lord, love the world, work for nothing, take all you have and be poor, love someone who doesn't deserve it. And then he says, ask questions that have no answers, invest in the millennium, plant sequoias, Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant, that you will not live to harvest. And, you know, this idea, you know, that the work we do, we might not ever see the fruits of it, right? Um, and that's really hard because we live in this 
world of immediate gratification, not only for our financial investments, but from like our social media posts or our um, with our children. Like if if our children trying to discipline them, we want them to get it immediately, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want to be like, we don't want to wait till they're 20 years down the road and be like, mom or dad, you really got that right. Thanks for telling me. Yeah. Whenever I was, you know, 10 not to do this thing. Now I'm 30, I appreciate. You know, that's where I am right now. I'm telling my parents all the time, like, okay, y'all weren't completely crazy. But this idea of, you know, planting and investing, you know, things, doing things that, that we won't see maybe ever is a hard reality. It's a hard thing to like, to be okay with. But, I mean, that is what it is. That is kingdom work. I mean, sometimes you will be able to see the fruits, right? If you're able to help somebody have a home, if you're able to help, but but not always. Before we transition out of our kind of post-sermon talk, other things in chapter four, two other things that she said uh, that I really liked. One is she just used the phrase, a life shaped by the gospel and not by us. And that's just... She summarized 13 verses in that one sentence. That's that's the message of the unity. That's how we act to achieve unity, to do diversity inclusion. Mm-hmm. And then she exemplified that before she even started preaching. When she prayed for, when she prayed over us all as a congregation, she said, Lord, move me out of the way, hide me behind the cross. She was specifically talking about Sheila. And that is, she was living into what she was preaching. And that was just, I didn't see that until I kind of listened to it again. And I was like, that's just so cool mm-hmm. uh, that, that she got it. She didn't just get up there and kind of hear the content and know how to just give it back to us, but uh, is living it out in just the simplest way of how she prayed for the sermon and knowing it was about all about God. Yeah. I thought that was great. The last thing that, you know, last kind of nugget that really stuck with me is a line that she said, she said, we are united. We're not uniformed. And I think sometimes that's the way we see our churches and our community is that we're just surrounded by people who look like us or who act like us, you know, in that way, you know, we're part of this church because we're with the people who we identify most with theologically or with people who we identify with based on our, where we are in our life cycle type deal. But this idea of being united in the body also means that we're inclusive and welcoming and diverse. And this idea that we're united but not uniformed kind of speaks to the nature, you know, Whenever um, Paul says, the author says, um, the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. You know, it reminds me so much when we do talk about callings kind of in an individual way, like which might not be the theme of this chapter, but in other places in Paul, in Pauline letters and epistles, he, he gives us this language that helps us identify that we all do have uniqueness to us. We don't have to, I don't have to be just like Todd to be a part of the church. Like you might be a member of a church. I might not be a member. And for me to join that church, I don't have to be just like you. And uh, I think sometimes that's, that might not be our cognitive perception, but it might be kind of a latent thing, a latent, a latent thing within us to think, you know, um, I've got to be a certain way. And I, I can't lead music, so I can't serve. I can't, um, I'm not very good at teaching Bible study, so there's no place for me. And that kind of breaks my heart, right? Because mm-hmm. we do have these ways in which God has equipped each of us uniquely, and we bring that uniqueness to the body of Christ. And so though we're united, we're not uniformed. And so I just love that piece that she brought in. Absolutely. That that can be hard to grasp, too. You, it's, it's built into us that whether it's you join a church uh, new in the community and you see someone that you really 
admire, whether it's the pastor or the worship leader. And you're like, man, I just, they're just, they've got it together. They're really helping this church. I just, I just don't do that thing. And that's hard to identify. I, I'm still working to identify that for myself. Like, how do I, you know, here, I'm, I've got plenty of things. You just have a joke for Johnny. I, I mean, I can go down so with you, Todd. One way how, but I don't, I don't play music. I don't preach. Um, so that, that music, can be hard. What instrument would you play? I'd like to play the piano. I've got lots of years left in my life to learn that. So that's a goal of mine. See, I didn't, I didn't, you don't strike me as a piano man. I was thinking more like didgeridoo. I don't even know what that is. It's like the but, big, long horn. Okay, well, that's just something. So, anyway, uh, to get back on track, but I want to do a quick scripture education for myself. The verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And that was right after he talks about apostles and prophets and shepherds and teachers needing everyone. What does he mean by equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ? Yeah. My background being that saints, I, I'm a former Catholic, and so saints to me go through a very rigid process in the Roman Catholic Church to become saints. So you tell me more about that. So this is another instance where just having different translations available to you is helpful when you have like a word you don't recognize. See how other people have translated it. So if you use like BibleGateway.com or whatever, it's got the drop down menu and you can be like, I'm going to click on NIV, I'm going to click on ESV, I'm going to click on NHP. And it'll kind of give you word, you know, you can comparisons in a way. You can read one and read the other. Because if you read that in NIV, it just says to equip his people for works of service so that the body um, of Christ may be built up. And in the NRSV, it also says saints, but it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so um, saints really just means the people of the church, the people who are, you know, part of the body together, right? And in our creed, we affirm the communion of saints. I believe the communion of saints, forgiveness mm-hmm. of sins, resurrection of the body. And there's a communion of saints that is present now mm-hmm. in like in the immediacy of me and you, members of the body of Christ, where the saints are being equipped. There's also, we believe, in the saints who have gone before us, mm-hmm. right? So there's the great cloud of witnesses, and in that way, we have a communion with the saints who are members of the body that are now, that were, and that will be. And so saints, truly, in the way he's referring to us, just the people of the church. So what were some other things from Ephesians chapter four, um, you know, that maybe we're in the second part of the chapter that Sheila didn't preach about, or maybe we're even in the chapter she preached about that kind of stuck out to you. Some questions you might have, some things you might want to talk about. I have a couple um, things that I, one, I just love the whole chapter. I could talk about it, you know, for longer than a 30 minute podcast. Um, but I want to make sure that we kind of concisely hit, you know, two or three points about Ephesians chapter four that maybe didn't come through um, in the sermon just because, you know, sermons are 22 minutes and we're given an extra 30 minutes now to talk about it. Yeah. And she's, and Sheila focused on verses one through 13 of chapter four. And there's another lot of verses. So the rest of the book is very good. It, it's that same message of how to apply this and how to live through it and in it. Um, so anyway, one other thing I want to talk about is there's a part in parentheses, which doesn't happen often in the Bible, or at least not the parts that I read, um, verse nine and 10 that to me seem pretty straightforward, but why are there parentheses in the first place? It is about it's in saying, and 10, yeah. yeah. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things in parentheses. 
so I can talk about the nature of the content of that section. I don't actually know if there were, I don't, as far as I remember, the punctuation in Koine Greek is not the same as ours. And so I can't remember if there are parentheses in the original you know, Greek manuscripts yeah. or not. So we'll, we'll ask, I'll ask Jason Borges about that. I'll call Jason and ask him. Um, I can say, you know, like in Mark, there's brackets around a part that I thought were added later. You know, the okay. second ending of Mark is like this part is added later. So we're putting, you know, our brackets around it to try to differentiate it. I don't think that's what's going on here. This is truly a parenthetical statement. It's just an aside from the author. Um, but the content of it is unique. Uh, the content of it, he says, what does he ascend mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? You know, it's ironic. Not ironic. It's just, I guess, there's a lot of modern interpretation that thinks of that as hell mm-hmm. um, because it sounds like the way in which we modern conceptual, modern, in our modern talk, conceptualize hell. This, 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 you know, place below the earth that is, you know, that we will hopefully not go to, right? But that's not actually what's going on in the verse. It's really just he's juxtaposing the earth against the heavenly realm. So it's, the heavenly realms is where God was, and then he descended to the earthly regions, which was the lower part of all the cosmic realities. So there's the upper heavenly, there's the lower earth, which is where all of us are, and so God, who was up there, descended down here. And, um, you know, that is just what it is. It's just the way in which the author was describing kind of the experience of dissension not being like into like the ground. I mean, you could interpret it maybe as someone to the grave, yeah. but it's not in this kind of um, metaphysical went down to hell yeah. thing. That's not, that is what some theology believes and, and that's yeah. fine, but that's not, it's not from this verse. Like that's not what this verse is specifically yeah. saying. I think I read it in the way you described about the author was really just emphasizing that he, because he descended, that means he ascended. He is from God and the heavens. Um, I didn't read it in the way that it was talking about hell, but I did get tripped up by in the next verse talking about the saints. So I thought that was just important for us to touch on for anybody that might have read that and said, man, he really went off off topic there, but not so much. Another part that I wanted to talk about that I think we both wanted to is verse 25 and 26. 26 specifically uh, talks about anger. Verse 25 starts, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. That, let's talk some more about that, you specifically as the pastor, because in this, the way I read from it, he's really talking about the practical application. Verse 1 through 10 through 13, Sheila gave us the message of you just, you got to die to yourself and uh, put the cross in front of me as she prayed and live for others, live a lot, lead a life that is for others. And here he's taught, how do you do that even more practically? It's what I hear him saying in modern terms is it's not always all smiles and laughter and rose petals, uh, but there are ways he's talking about anger. So Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think oftentimes we we think of anger as being like this real bad thing that you shouldn't have. Um, it is not something that should be overused or uh, overindulged. But Jesus got angry at the temple. Like anger is not itself a sin. Wrath is what you know became one of the seven deadly sins. Wrath is uncontrollable anger. Mm-hmm. Wrath is when when anger is being. You know, it's not justified. So it's okay to be angry at injustice. It's okay yeah. to be angry at oppression. It's okay to be angry at things that are not of the kingdom. And that should compel us to want to do things about it, right? If, if your anger doesn't compel you to do good, then maybe it is false anger. Maybe it is 
um, uncontrollable anger. And so, but I, I really kind of feel like the author, in my interpretation, in my mind, is just kind of saying that as an aside. So he's saying anger itself is not a sin, but don't let your anger lead you to sin. Because just a couple verses later, in verse 31, he says, put away all your bitterness and wrath and anger. So in verse 26, he says, be angry, but do not sin. And then 31, he says, but put away your anger. And I don't think he's contradicting himself. I think he's saying that at times there is an appropriateness to having some anger towards something that is not good. Yet do not let anger control your life. Um, Do not let wrath and bitterness be the lens through which you see the world. And that, you know, as we kind of close out our conversation here, is the where the place in which he closes this section of the letter. Um, the actual chapter ends at verse 26. Nope. Is that right? At verse 30, 32. 32. The actual chapter ends at verse 32. Yet the section itself really doesn't end until chapter 5, verse 2, because it goes on. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And then verse 1, chapter 5 starts, Therefore be imitators of God and beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And so that's really where this section ends. Because he's bringing in, like you said, this practical point of like, there will be times you'll be angry. But if you're going to live in a community, you can't always be bitter. You can't always be wrathful. You can't always slander. You can't slander. Um, you can't live together with malice. These things that control the way in which we see the world, these negative emotions, these negative ways of being, are pretty incompatible with harmonious living, mm-hmm. are pretty incompatible with um, the ways in which the, the unity of the body can be achieved. And so then he says, put away those things. If you're going to live in community, if you're going to live in harmony, um, then be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Be an imitator of God and live in love. And that just speaks to my heart. I mean, when we talk about devotional readings, this is another one of those parts of this book that just lights me up because, you know, I wish we could all just kind of live real close to each other, hang out all the time, just have this like kind of communal setting where we're all just hanging out and just everybody, ELE, everybody love everybody. We ain't got no beef. Everybody just hanging out, being besties. Um, I'm so extroverted that I would love that. My um, my introverted wife said, all right, got to go to our house now. we got to be done hanging out. But it's just, to me, it's just this picturesque um, view of community, right? This yeah. idea that um, when you are in a faithful community with others, you will love them. You're not going to slander them. When you're trying to build up the body of Christ, you're going to be tenderhearted. You're going to hear what people are saying that is hurting their lives, and you're going to be sensitive to that. You're going to forgive one another because oftentimes people will wrong you. But if you hold that bitterness against them, you'll never be one with them in community. Yeah. And so that landing place for me is just so good, so real. Don't let the sun go down on your anger is, to me, it's the practical application from the author of how to get there. Mm-hmm. So it's okay to be angry. That that in itself is kind of a good word because it's not, we're human and it's the author acknowledging that this it's not some impossible reality I'm asking you to live into like getting angry at injustice is perfectly normal and then I liked what you said if it if it doesn't compel you to do good what your anger then just sit with it identify you know what is making you angry is it injustice is it or is it you know being wronged and then you know pray about that Live right. into that. How can you forget? Uh, doesn't mean to live into yeah, that. Yeah, because if you don't, if you don't properly deal with that anger and bitterness, I don't think you'll get to the ELE. Everybody love everybody. <laughs> it's just, it's just hard to do. Um, it is, and and you know, I I can say that 
now at this phase of my life, not having had any major wrongs done to me. People have been mean to me. They've said, you know, rude things. You know, everyone's had some wrongs done to them. Right. But I've not had some life altering wrong done to me. And and so it's easy for me to say that, right? Everybody love everybody, just forgive each other. But forgiveness is hard. And sometimes forgiveness is, is might seem impossible when you go through things that don't seem reconcilable, that don't seem forgivable. When somebody does something to you or to your family or friend or somebody you care about, like the idea of living in a community or welcoming that person into that, that person gets Christ's love too, like that is as difficult as the gospel gets right there. Um, and so I say that to say like, that is the ideal, and it, but it, I don't want to be insensitive because I've never had to go through something so difficult to try to reach there. That's just where I just want to be because I've had a pretty good life as far as like no yeah. one's majorly you know, offended me. Yeah, in harmful ways. So the other thing, in all of chapter four, and this is our third week out of four, your whole four-week series theme is four by grace. So I almost wanted to challenge you, so I went to look for the answer, but it's there. In finding this, we just talked about unity for a good while, but the whole passage starts off well in verse 7 but grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts so there it is the the theme about (laughs) we're doing all this because Christ died on the cross for us and then at the end of chapter 4 again be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you in Christ I'm reading that as died on the cross for us so it's just littered throughout there even though we just spent all our time talking about unity um, we're still in that four by grace Series. Yeah, she would preach from a section that didn't have the word grace in it very much, but she talked a lot about grace, right? Yeah. That it doesn't have to be directly quotable in the scripture for it to be the lens through which we see things. It to be the, the, the coming back point, the centering place, the grace of God. And um, if you go back and listen to her sermon, she talked about grace a lot. And that's just something I think she and I and Robinson, Kathy and, and, and most pastors in our in our tradition and hopefully all pastors mm-hmm. um, have a proclivity towards like you can't help but talk about grace. Yeah, because it's four beggars. I hope that y'all enjoyed this conversation. It's been fun again. We haven't been getting any questions. No one's really texted me like, hey, I've got a question about this. So next week's your last chance. One more chance. With Todd for now. Um, not committing him to anything. I'm saying for now. Like maybe he'll make a guest appearance in the future. Um, but I can't keep asking him to give up his yeah. time. I do appreciate I just want to give a shout out. Todd is faithfully doing this and I'm so thankful for that and he's each week you know taking hours to uh, to serve um, the Lord and to, to do this for all of us for all of our good so thanks Todd no this series has been fun and I've learned a good bit just looking back and listening to where I could have done better in previous weeks I, I didn't even realize how much I've learned through it so it's been cool uh, and to get positive affirmation from uh, our church family and our families uh, has been really cool as well so happy to do it Peace.